everyone. Welcome back to the second episode in Conflict in the Middle East. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the causes in the Arab-Israeli war, the war itself, the Suez Canal crisis, and the Iran-Iraq war. You're going to need to grab your notepad and pen. We're going to investigate the increasing tension, what happened in the wars, and why things have been labelled a crisis. Firstly, I'm going to recap on what happened in the previous episode. There are foundation blocks. What happened in the last episode is the undercurrent for everything that we are going to learn in this episode. I therefore want to remind you that the Ottoman Empire was composed of different ethnic groups mixed together. I want you to remember that when the Ottoman Empire collapsed, they no longer had a caliphate, a leader related to the Prophet Muhammad, and so they therefore did not have anyone to look up to or respect as a collective. We then have the Sykes-Picot Agreement. That was the agreement made between Britain and France to divide the Middle East between them. And I want to reinforce the US interference in this. Although they did not allow Britain and France to colonise the Middle East, they allowed the British and the French to have mandates. These mandates were countries that were believed not to be ready for independence. This was the promise that Britain and France were going to help these countries develop although that never really manifested. And I want to leave this off with the Balfour Declaration. The declaration made stating that Jews should have a national home. And that national home would exist in Palestine, an area where Arabs had been living for centuries. And that this decision was made without any consultation This leads me into the first lesson, the Arab-Israeli war. What were the causes to the Arab-Israeli war? Well, in part, we already know the answer to this question. It was the Balfour Declaration. It was the fact that Britain was allowed to declare this because Palestine was Britain's mandate. And with this decision come Jewish migration to Palestine. By 1922, the Jewish population of Palestine had increased to 85,000. When the Nazis came to power in Germany, this again increased further. And by 1933, 60,000 German Jews were allowed to emigrate from Europe to Palestine officially. This doesn't include the figures of the people who tried to make this trip illegally. By 1936, Jews made up 28% of the population there. 
As the Arabs in Palestine were left out of this decision, we can already sense a rising tension. They were incredibly unhappy. They demanded independence from Britain. And this led to an Arab revolt of 1936-39. And in this revolt there were strikes and there were protests and there was violence against the British. Around 5,000 Arabs were killed or executed. As a result of this revolt, the British started to put restrictions on Jewish immigration to Palestine through fear that there would be a civil war. This is where it gets complicated. Britain continued with this decision to have tight restrictions on Jewish immigration, even after learning about what had happened in the Holocaust. Britain therefore becomes trapped in the middle. Jewish groups attacked British policemen and soldiers in Palestine. There was a major terrorist attack on the 22nd of July 1946, where Jewish terrorists planted bombs in the British military headquarters. This bomb killed 91 people. Britain were in the middle and couldn't decide on what to do. They gave up the mandate in Palestine. It was costing them too much. The world wars had meant that the British economy had suffered. They therefore agreed to hand Palestine over to the United Nations, an organisation set up to try and solve problems and encourage peace. On the 15th of May 1948, when Palestine became the United Nations mandate, fighting between the Jews and Arabs began. In response to this, the United Nations agreed to divide Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The United Nations gave areas to the Jews, where many Jews had already lived, and they did the same for the Arabs. This seemed like a fair deal. However, when you look more closely into the statistics of this, it becomes apparent that the Jews were given 56% of the land in Palestine, despite only being 32% of the population. 43% was given to the Arabs, despite the fact that the country belonged to them originally. Jerusalem was made an international zone, as many religions use it and it's important to everyone. The Jews accepted this, the Arabs did not. Eventually, this escalated into a civil war. Massacres occurred on each side. Thousands of Palestinians left the country to escape the war. And Britain? Well, Britain didn't do a lot to stop the violence that they had created.
other people get involved in the Arab-Israeli civil war. On the 14th of May 1948, Jews in Palestine declared the creation of a new independent state called Israel. David Ben-Gurion became Israel's first Prime Minister. The Arabs did not accept the new state of Israel, a natural response to someone who had invaded and taken their land. So on the 15th of May, five Arab countries surrounding Palestine joined together in attacking Israel. This conflict has become known as the Arab-Israeli War. The war lasted one year from 1948 to 49. An Egyptian army attacked from the south. Lebanese, Syrian, Iraqi and Jordanian troops attacked from the north and the east. As Palestine had all of these allies, it really seems impossible that Israel would survive. But by July 1948, the Israelis were pushing the attackers back. By October, the Israelis were capturing new areas. In July 1949, the Arab-Israeli war ended. Israel had won the war. It really is remarkable that they won the war. And I know you're asking the question, how did they do this? Well, there's three important reasons on why Israel won this war. Firstly, the Arab forces were not trained. They had no clear plan. Nor did they have an experienced leader. When we compare this to the Israelis, their Prime Minister had a strong plan and everyone followed it. This isn't the only reason why Israel won. The Israelis had support from the USA. They were given money from the USA and with this they bought 30,000 rifles, 4,500 machine guns, 84 aircraft and millions of rounds of ammunition. This is a force that the Arabs could not afford to fight. The UN, largely led by the United States, ordered ceasefires at different points of the war. The Israelis used the ceasefires to get new weapons and develop new plans. The Israelis also broke the ceasefires several times so they could attack by surprise. There are however consequences to the Arab-Israeli war. Palestinian Arabs refer to 1948 as the catastrophe. Al-Nakba, as they would call it. By the end of the war, 10,000 Arabs had died and 700,000 Palestinian Arabs had become refugees. And around 600,000 of those refugees had settled in huge camps in neighbouring Arab countries.
Israel gained territory meant for the UN Arab state. Again, an idea that the Arabs rejected. Jordan and Egypt also gained territory from this war, turning their backs on their original allies. Palestinian Arabs say they should have the right to return to their old land. They say that Israel forced them to leave. The Arab countries where they live in have never given them citizenship. For Israel, the outcome of the war was a triumph. The Israelis celebrate 1948 as the year of liberation. The complete opposite to how the Palestinians refer to it as the catastrophe. 6,000 Israelis had died in the war, but Israel had managed to defend the territory given to them by the UN. Even today, Israel's neighbours do not accept Israel despite this victory. They want to destroy the state and they want to return this to the land of the Arabs. As a result of this, Israel have had to make sure that their small state is very well protected. Why didn't conflict in the Middle East end after the Arab-Israeli War? Well, in order to answer this question, we need to think quite broadly about the history we're learning. After World War II, there emerged two new superpowers. One superpower being the United States of America, the other superpower being the Soviet Union, formerly known as Russia. They entered into a period which we now call the Cold War. A Cold War is a war where countries threaten and spy on each other, but don't necessarily fight each other directly. The Middle East became involved in this as a result of the competition between the two superpowers. An example of this can be seen in the Suez Crisis. The Suez Canal is a canal which runs through Egypt. In 1882, the British had occupied Egypt to make sure no one ever closed the canal to British shipping. The Suez Canal was essential for Britain's supply of oil. They would use the canal to transport oil through the Mediterranean to get to Britain quicker. As a result of British interest in the canal, when Egypt became independent in 1922, Britain kept its troops there. In the 1950s, Britain had 70,000 soldiers in Egypt. The leader of Egypt from 1954 was President Nasser. Nasser had three main aims. 
he had begun to grow distrustful of the British presence along the Suez Canal. As a result of this, his first aim was to remove the British troops from Egypt. His second aim was to use Egyptian resources to improve the lives of the people in Egypt. His third aim was to bring all Arabs together. And this is a notion that came about from foreign interference in the early 20th century. In order to achieve these aims, Nasser began to buy weapons, aircraft and tanks. He was worried about the threat that could potentially come from Israel. The British and Americans refused to sell him these weapons. And as a result, he brought a huge amount of weapons from Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia was a communist country dominated by the Soviet Union. The USA and the United Nations found out about this, so they refused to lend Nasser the money he needed to build the Aswan Dam. The dam was set to be across the River Nile in Egypt, and it was meant to protect the country from flooding, provide water for irrigation, so farming, and generate hydroelectricity. This dam was fundamental in his second aim of using Egyptian resources to improve the lives. The Egyptians had therefore become involved in the Cold War on the side of the Soviets as they had bought their weapons and had made enemies as a result with the United States. After Britain, the United States of America and the UN refused to lend Nasser money for the Aswan Dam. He therefore responded by announcing that the Suez Canal would be nationalised. This means that instead of the canal being run by the British and French, he would close the canal so that Egypt would take full control of it. The money from charging ships to use the canal would pay for building the Aswan Dam. Egypt would decide which countries could use the canal. This delighted the Arabs throughout the Middle East, as it showed an Arab leader standing up to foreign powers. Britain, France and the United States going to let Egypt get away with this? Absolutely not. The transport of oil is essential to running their economies. The British Prime Minister in 1956 was Anthony Eden. He was determined to stop Nazar from taking control of the Suez Canal for this reason. He made a secret plan with David Ben-Gurion, Israel's Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister of France. They were all worried about Nasser's new military power 
his popularity with Arab countries and his growing links to the USSR, which is the Soviet Union. They were worried that Nazar might be building up an army to attack Israel. Each of them had strong reasons for wanting to get rid of him. As a result of this, Israel attacked through the Sinai Desert on the 29th of October and Egypt fought back. Britain and France ordered both sides to stop fighting. When Nazar refused, Britain and France invaded on the 5th of November to keep the peace. Really, their real aim was to take control of the canal. Nasser sank ships filled with concrete in the Suez Canal to stop British and French forces using it in their attacks. This closed the canal. It was a clever move because as a result of this, oil tankers could not reach the UK and petrol began to run out. The UN therefore ordered a ceasefire. The USA and the USSR, Soviet Union, strongly criticised Britain and France. The USA even threatened to stop lending Britain money. Britain therefore had no choice. They could not afford to lose the US loans. Britain withdrew their troops stationed in Egypt and by December 1956 there were none left. The winners of the Suez crisis were therefore Nasser. Other Arab countries saw him as a hero and as a leader of all Arabs. He had complete control of the Suez Canal and its income. He therefore managed to secure his three aims. He had removed the British troops. He had used Egyptian resources to improve lives and he brought Arabs together. Other Arab countries also benefited they saw that the Soviet Union would help them if it meant the USA and its allies were damaged. Arab nationalism increased and the region began to oppose the West more. Israel can also be seen as a winner. Although Egypt would not let Israel use the Suez Canal, the Israeli armed forces had easily beaten the Egyptian forces. An attack from Egypt therefore looked unlikely. The UN also created a stronger border between Egypt and Israel. Israel now felt more protected. The loser in this situation is obviously Britain. Prime Minister Eden resigned in 1957. He resigned mainly because of the crisis. Britain had gone against the USA and had once again been humiliated. 
the USA was now the chief global power, not the British Empire, which had been diminishing. As a result of this event, Britain's influence in the Middle East was finished. conflicts occurred in the Middle East during the Cold War. We are going to look at the causes of the Iran-Iraq War. Some of the causes of conflict in this war rely on religion and power. There are two different religious Muslim groups. There are the Shia and the Sunni. They're both branches of Islam. However, Shias share many beliefs and practices with Sunni Muslims. They also have their differences and these differences have led to conflict. By the end of the 1970s, many Iranians were unhappy with their leader, the Shah. Oil had made the Shah and his family very rich, yet the general population of Iran remained very poor. There began to be an awareness that there was a lot of corruption and unfairness. Iran was modernising, but as a result of this it put religious traditions under threat. This upset many Iranians. The Shah supported the USA against the Soviet Union. Many Iranians hated the USA because it gave money to Israel. It also upset Iranian communities as they wanted a fairer society and so supported the communist belief system of the USSR, the Soviet Union. As a result of this, in 1978-79, there was a revolution that overthrew the Shah and replaced him with an Islamic Republic. The new leader was a Shia Muslim. This revolution brought in strict religious laws. Western influences also came under attack. Iran's leaders did not want to be controlled by the USSA or the USSR. They wanted a fairer society throughout the Middle East based on Islam, not communism and not Western democracy. The new Islamic Republic tried to encourage other countries in the Middle East to overthrow their leaders and become Islamic Republics too. This threatened the USSR and the USA's interest in the Middle East. The leader of Iraq in 1980 was Saddam Hussein, a name you might recognise. He was from the Sunni tradition of Islam and Iraq Shia population were not treated very well under his leadership. 
Hussein wanted to become leader of the Arab world. And this meant he was critical of the USSR, USA and Israel. The Iranian revolution was a direct threat to Hussein for two reasons. Iran wanted countries like Iraq to become Islamic republics by overthrowing their leaders. Saddam Hussein did not want to be overthrown. He wanted to keep his power. Secondly, Iraq's Shia population had close links to Iran. Iran was mainly a Shia country. Hussein was worried that Iraqi Shias were keen to start a revolution against him because he was so harsh against them. As a result of this, Hussein thought that the best strategy for dealing with Iran was to attack them. Hussein promised his country that they would beat Iran very quickly. However, this turned out to be an enormous mistake. The war had become a stalemate. Iraq did not have enough troops to successfully invade Iran. It also did not have the military technology to stop Iranian attacks. Iran had huge numbers of fighters, but their weapons were old. Many of the volunteers for the Iranian attacks were very young men and even boys who believed that if they died, they would become martyrs. This was really prominent in their belief system. They believed they would have all their sins forgiven and were guaranteed a place in paradise. This leads to the Iran-Iraq war and its continuation with links to the Cold War itself. Who won the Iran-Iraq War? The answer to this question is debatable. After you learn about the consequences of the war and why the war was so brutal, you can come to your own conclusions to this question. The Iranians initially had US weapons left over from the Shah's time. However, as a result of the revolution, the USA would not supply the Iranians with spare parts to repair the weapons or ammunition. The USSR did not support Iran either. It did not want to see Iran encouraging Islamic revolutions in Muslim parts of the USSR. As a result of this, both the USSR and the USA supported Iraq in the Iran-Iraq war. The USA did not necessarily send weapons, but it sent information and supplies that could be used for military purposes. The reason the USA supported Iraq was mainly because of oil. It will come as no surprise to us that the USA was worried that if Iran won the war, it might go on to lead revolutions in other areas in the Middle East. Ultimately, this means the USA and its allies 
or worried about the supply of oil. Without reliable sources of oil, Western economies would grind to a halt. The USSR had been a close ally of Iraq since the 1950s. It did not want to lose Iraq to the West and so increased its support for Iraq further. Some of the consequences of the war were that it's been estimated up to a million people dying. After eight years of the war, the borders of each country did not change at all. The war turned the Iranian revolution into something many Iranians would die to defend. In some cases, this causes extremism. The many failures of the Iraqi army meant Hussein's importance in the Arab world was reduced. He would not be the one to unite Arab countries together. The war was brutal. Iran had very little military technology and so it used what it did have, huge numbers of volunteers. They were trying to swamp better equipped Iraqis and this created brutal battlefields. Hussein did not trust his people to support him. He used brutal methods. He conscripted Iraqi troops to fight. He launched attacks against Iraqi civilians who he thought might support Iran. Furthermore, Hussein used chemical weapons. Even though their use was banned by international law, reports suggest that 20,000 Iranian troops were killed by nerve gas. Hussein also used chemical weapons against Kurdish Iraqis, his own people. 5,000 people, mostly women and children, were killed in an attack on an Iraqi town in 1988. When the war became a stalemate, artillery and air raids were used to attack civilian cities in both countries. With thousands of casualties, Iraq had a modern Soviet-supplied air force. The Iranians used missile attacks instead. With all this in mind, it's difficult to say who was the victor of the war when the losses were so great. Let's summarise the events in the Middle East from 1936 to 1988. We have the Arab revolt against the Balfour Declaration. We have the British restricting Jewish immigration into Palestine, which resulted in Jewish terrorism. We have the United Nations plan to split Palestine when Palestine became its mandate. And with this, we've got the creation of Israel leading to the Arab-Israeli war. And war doesn't end there. Britain's interest in the Suez Canal and their refusal to take troops away from Egypt causes the Suez Crisis. 
We then have the Iran Revolution and the support for Iraq from the USSR and the USSA, which caused the Iran-Iraqi war where no clear winner occurred. I'm going to ask you some questions. If you can answer these questions, you are ready to move on to the next topic. What are the three aims of Nasser's leadership of Egypt? How did the Arab revolt cause conflict? Why did the USSR and the USA both support Iraq despite the atrocities committed by Hussein? If you can answer those questions, then you're ready to move on to the final episode of Conflict in the Middle East. Thank you.